Good morning, everybody. If we haven't met before, I'm married to Jax. We have three children, 19, 17, and a 10-year-old, and uh, we are in Hillcrest at City Hill Church. The word that we felt God give us at the end of last year for our church looking into this year was this, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And as, we, as I've dived into some of the texts that contain this uh, verse, it really, it just bubbling on my heart. And I'd like to read this morning from Mark chapter 5. Uh, the story is told in multiple Gospels. But in Mark chapter 5, verse 47 through to 52, it says, Later that night, now there was a whole lot that went on during that day. I'll loop back to that. But it says, Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he, that's Jesus, was alone on the land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars. Quite an important phrase there to me. Because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them. We're not given too much more detail on that. He's out there walking on the water, Jesus. It says, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. That was the only frame of reference. This must be some kind of spiritual phenomenon, a ghost. It says, they cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. These 12 grown men in terror at what they were witnessing. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves, their hearts were hardened. For those who are parents here, uh, if you've got little kids or can think back to having little kids, a lot of our work as parents is repeating the phrases over and over, don't be afraid, mom and dad are here for you, especially if it's in the middle of the night and there's been some nightmares or some anxiety is take courage, whatever your language is that you use in your home. And it's like the Father in heaven has got the story in the Bible to speak not just to 12 terrified men in a boat, but to speak to every single one of us through the ages. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. The backstory to this text, in fact, there's a story before and after where this fits in the middle, is that that day that they had just finished was that amazing miracle of the multiplication of the loaves and the fish. The Bible records it as the feeding of the 5,000. Chances are there were many more thousands. It's the only miracle to my knowledge recorded in all four Gospels. And the disciples had been part of that. They were there. Jesus told them, go and feed the crowds. Hey, we don't have the food. All we've got is five loaves and two fish. Well, that's good enough. Pray, get them in groups, hand out the food. Twelve basketfuls. An incredible day of supernatural provision. Right then, it says, after they were done, Jesus told them, climb into the boat. So this story is the same night. And I'm sure for the first part of those disciples' journey, they were just raving about all that they've seen. But then the wind comes up, and they were traveling east to west across the Sea of Galilee. So Jesus is up there on the hillside, and they are rowing into the wind They've got to get all the way across to the other side. And I'm sure by midnight, 1 a.m., 2 a.m., 4 a.m., 
they lose their sense of humor a bit. Some of them are sleeping, others rowing. It's a long, tough night. And it gets a little bit tougher from their point of view because they don't know where Jesus is, how he's getting to the other side. That would have been one of my questions, by the way, in the boat. Like, Jesus, how are you going to get there? Don't worry about that. You guys just row across. And in the middle of the night, well, just before dawn, they see this apparition walking, a, a body walking across the water. I mean, I think even today, most people are absolutely terrified if you were to see that. And Jesus immediately speaks to them, take courage at his eye. Now, Mark leaves out a part of the story, but Matthew records it in his gospel that before Jesus climbs in the boat, another miracle takes place. Peter, now having taken courage, says to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says, come. Another miracle happens within these 24 hours. Peter is out there on the water, in the wind, with the waves, walking along with Jesus on the water. Most of us, I think, know the end of the story that he looks at the wind and waves, sinks, gets rescued by Jesus. They climb back in the boat. And when Jesus is back in the boat with them, all the wind dies down. It's, it's quite an astonishing timeline for me because you've got what feels like a mountaintop of this miraculous provision, the loaves and the fish. Surely after a day like that, you feel anything is possible. This is why I signed up for ministry. Peter, James, John, guys, high-fiving, this, this is it. Imagine turning this into a bakery business. I mean, Jesus, just the potential is endless. And then you have this massive night, and it's tough, and it's hard work, and they're rowing all night, and it's not the multiplication, and there's no immediate miracles. The wind is still blowing. The waves are there. It's hard work. And you've got this mountaintop provision, You've got the nighttime of tough work, and then you've got an astonishing miracle of walking on water. Ah, this is why I signed up. Yeah, imagine we could all do that. And when I piece that timeline together, I think that so often feels like parts of my life and parts of leadership is combined together sometimes in the same 24-hour period, the same month, the same year. You see miracles of provision and long, hard rowing into the wind and supernatural walking on water. And we tend to tell the walking on water stories and the loaves and fish stories, much more exciting. What did you do? I just rode through the whole night. It was quite tough and the wind was against me. Or just, you know, stick, hang in there. Last year, if I look at... 2023, there were so many, it felt like loaves and fish multiplied in our local church and in our lives. So many moments that if we took the time to look back and think and reflect, thank you God for all that you did. Astonishing. With no big change in strategy or ideas, it just felt like there was multiplication in some of the loaves and fish. Wow, thank you Lord. Yeah, this is why we signed up. And then at the same time, in the same year, some wind blowing into our faces. I think every year has different challenges. One of the personal journeys that Jackie and I went through is uh, I, was in a, uh, I was on a trip to Europe and finished off in Armenia, Yerevan, amazing church plant happening there. I, I'm sidetracking here, but the stories of Muslims coming to Christ People from other countries who have moved to Armenia getting radically saved in this church plant. Like, I just I listen with goosebumps, and it's like listening to the book of Acts. It just, and on the last day, 
that I'm there, we're out looking at some of the sites. I'm climbing on the plane that evening. The phone call that desperately eventually they make contact with us, please call your wife. Phone home. She says, I'm on the side of the road. My daddy's gone to be with the Lord. My father-in-law, an amazing man, 70 years old, fit man, amazing father and husband, out for a bike ride, they stop on the side of the road to look at something he just keels over. Massive heart attack, kind of the way anybody would want to go, but when it happens very suddenly, no ill health, no, it just, ah, and now every day you get up, the loaves and fish are still with you, but it's like the wind is blowing of grief and process and all the stuff that goes with the estate and family, figuring out the way forward. We personally adjusted in our family, um, if I could say, season to having our first child out of school, learning quite a lot. Sometimes it felt like the loaves and fish, other times like the wind was blowing. We, we had a most unexpected situation in, in our rates bill. We received an unexpected rates bill with an extra 3.6 million rand added on. No phone call to let us know any, just like 3.6 million. Where did, why, what, how? We, we dive into it. It's a long, long, long story. A mistake that's, it's seriously complicated. Anyway, we, we managed to get the agreement from the rates department. We met with the head of the rates department, get the agreement. It was an error. It shouldn't have been added. But it doesn't get reversed for a while. We get visits from that department and multiple phone calls. It looks like they're trying to find a loophole, some way to change our rates exempt status on our uh, property to make us start paying rates so they don't need to reverse the 3.6 million. Oh, I don't need that. You know, all the other stuff, this is why I signed up, not for 3.6 million and extra rates bill. The end of the story was some good news. It's all worked out and been reversed, but it was quite a few months of some, um, yeah, hard work, a little bit of stress. And then there's other things where it felt like Jesus has encouraged us, get out, walk on the water, get out of the boat. Some of those we felt like we're sinking, others walking, celebrating, all together, all tied up. And in the middle of it all is this profound statement that Jesus says to all of his followers, us included, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. It's like in the middle of, no matter if you've had the multiplication, if it's there or some of it's in my future, whatever else good happening is there's moments in all of our days, weeks, months, and years where we need to hear this, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. There's a couple of things that really stand out to me in the story as it's told here in Mark, the first is the word understood. Understood. It's such an interesting little add-on that Mark adds here in his gospel. It says, they were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. From what I've read, and maybe there's others who know better, it's most likely that Mark's gospel is as Peter told the story. Peter experiencing it, probably the earliest gospel written, and Mark is busy writing it out. And so this is most likely Peter's account of, like, looking back, he says, we we didn't understand. We'd had the multiplication of those, but our hearts were somehow hardened 
And so we were completely amazed. We didn't expect to see Jesus walking on the water. We didn't expect the wind. And the words that the Bible uses about these disciples is we didn't understand. Which poses the question to me, and hopefully to you as well, is what are the things that I'm not yet properly understanding? Some of it through forgetfulness, others through lack of revelation, others through stress, pressure, etc. Some of it through excitement. So happy collecting the basketfuls of leftovers that I don't stop to understand. The disciples, it appears, didn't fully understand the incredible power of God through this miracle of provision. The provision of Jesus, the kindness of Jesus. Am I understanding properly His incredible grace, mercy, and kindness? The, the, the part I focus on, Steve, is like the loaves and the fish got multiplied. But the impulse that led to that miracle was Jesus having compassion on the crowds. They'd been there the whole day without food, listening to his teaching. You know what? You remember what the disciples' solution to that was? Let's send them on their way to find food. And Jesus says, no, you give them something to eat. But afterwards, I didn't understand. I just remember the loaves and the fish, the 12 baskets. Do I understand the impulse of Jesus in my life and in his church and through our work is that it's the kindness of Jesus that calls us, that provides the opportunity for those miracles. It's not because I'm such an amazingly thoughtful guy. It's often I just let the people go home. We're done now. Let them go and eat. The kindness of Christ says, no, you give them something. You don't talk about living in the burnout space. I've spoken about that in, in the previous moments. What's interesting to me is that you and I can be in the very presence of Jesus and our hearts can still be hardened and we can still not understand. I mean, it wasn't like these guys had to rely on, am I hearing the Holy Spirit correctly or not? They literally were in the presence of Jesus. He was physically there with them, performing all these miracles. And Mark records, they did not understand their hearts were hardened. It's a huge challenge to me. It means that it's possible to do all of these things and be part of all the miracle and recount all the stories and there's still aspects of my heart that don't fully understand and can be hardened. We need the lights to go on. The lights of revelation. When I was in the first year of varsity, I, did, uh, I didn't do much maths at varsity, but I did do stats one as part of my degree. And for some reason, the first test that we came to, I came unstuck. It was a, a multiple choice quest, uh, test, quiz, I nearly said. So it had these 20 questions, and it was A to D. Those were, you had to just pick the answers. So on your sheet, it gave you the problem, and then four possible answers, A, B, C, and D. I opened that, I thought, man, this is far easier than school. Like you can immediately, you work it out, plug it in, fantastic. I start with question number one. The answer I get after quite a bit of chewing my pencil, it doesn't reflect. It's not anywhere close to A, B, C, or D on the page. It's, it's just not there. I work it out again. I come, I'm even further away. So I think I'm going to come back to that one. I mean, like worst comes to worst, I can get 25% by just picking A all the way through. I do question number two, same, same problem. I don't find any answer. I'm trying to remember, what am I missing? It's just, it's for, it should have been simple. Question three, exactly the same. I get to question 18 
I still have not found one answer that correlates to A, B, C, or D. And I, I, at school, I didn't struggle academically. It, well, this wasn't familiar territory for me. I was, I was like sweating a little bit. And then in question 19, I realized I've been making a mistake all the way along. Somewhere in lack of study and stress, I've been misapplying something. And question 19, something clicks in my head. The lights go on. I, I wanted to jump up and like, yeah, come on. I, I go and I start and I go back to question one, two, three, and I start finding answers. Not all of them, but most of them. Get off. Oh, what a terrible test, but I made it. But the, that, that lights going on moment for me is my best memory of, in my duty, I can think of what revelation means, is you can be doing this stuff with Jesus right there, but the lights haven't gone on of how much I need him, how much I run him, how much he's there for me. How much His grace is there? How much He's carried me when I thought I was doing all the hard work? At the end of last year, we did a series through Romans 8, a New Testament series, but we actually just picked one chapter. And over five weeks, it was far too short to dive in some of what Romans 8 helps me understand. The lights to go on. That I, I need to be able... Let me start that again. I need to understand more of what Christ achieved for me at the cross. Through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. To understand that the same Spirit who raised Him from the dead is living in me and giving life to this mortal body. To understand that I'm a child of God, that I've received miraculous adoption into that family. And because of His Spirit, I get to call Him Abba, Daddy, Father, wow, I so often forget and don't understand that properly. I'm not only a child in the family, I'm an heir in that family of everything that belongs to God. I understand Romans 8, 28, that in all things he's working together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. John Piper's got a fantastic little thingy around Romans 8.28, he calls it the fortress of 8.28. He says, if you, if you don't understand this verse, you will spend your entire life living in the shanty town and straw houses of thinking you need to do it by yourself. And when you understand this, you live in the fortified castle of knowing that in everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly, God is working for the good of those who love him. Even if it doesn't feel good today, it's the ultimate long-term good. I understand that I'm more than a conqueror through him who loves me. Conquerors just beat up and get victory. More than conquerors are able to take what's been beaten up and use it to build an amazing empire in the future. We are the more than conquerors. We understand that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's possible to have experienced both miracles and hard nights rowing into the wind and somehow our hearts forget and we don't properly understand that he called me, that he's got me, that he is carrying me, and that he is saying every single day of my life, take courage, my boy, take courage, my girl. Saying over our lives, take courage, my boy and girl, that sounds better. Don't be afraid. The second idea that stands out to me from this interesting story is, is the idea of all night. I don't think I've probably seen this before. Verse 48, it says, He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them. So, from what I understand from reading the story and the geography of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus is on the hill praying, and the whole night he can see them rowing. 
They're not out of his sight. And the whole night the wind is against them. Eventually, only at the end of the night, at dawn, he calms the wind. Just let that sink in for a bit. If you're the guy in the boat rowing. And then you figure out that Jesus could have calmed the wind any time. Like I, that makes me feel a little bit hurt, really. You know, it's a little bit like disappointed. It was much easier handing out loaves and fish. That, that stuff I want to be part of. But this rogue all night, and, and uh, it's not the only time we see this idea of all night coming through. In, in Luke 5, you've got that story of the, the amazing catch of fish. But the precursor to all of that, if you're in, in uh, Peter's shoes, is they have worked hard. He says, Master, we've worked hard all night and caught nothing. So they've worked hard the whole night. Jesus has borrowed their boat to preach his message. They're tired. They were cleaning their nets. And then he's telling them, cast your net over on the other side. More hard work. And it's so interesting to me how Jesus doesn't ever apologize for allowing the all-night toughness to happen. He's not there on the boat saying, sorry, guys, I got you as quick as I could. He's like, no, I was there the whole night long. I could see you guys. It's written there. It's recorded. So we did. Like, I could see you the whole night long. Jesus, could you have calmed the, the wind at like 8 p.m., just given us two hard hours of rowing? I could have, but I didn't. What about midnight? Anytime I've traveled and it's gone through the night, it just doesn't feel great. I remember doing overland mission trips up to Zim, Malawi, uh, Zambia, etc., and you, you drive through the night, and, and in the morning, things don't look as rosy as they did the previous day. You're, you're tired, you're a little bit irritable, a little bit scratchy. Uh, the journey seems longer. It's easy to lose perspective when you've been awake all night, working hard all night, and yet Jesus didn't seem to mind so much that the disciples were on this tough journey through the whole night. It's interesting to me that he could have stopped the wind at any time, and yet he chose not to. And what I do with that fact is up to me. Because there are going to be times when he just allows the wind to blow and it's in my face and it's against me. But the amazing thing is this, is that just because we're toiling hard or rowing into the wind does not mean that Jesus has forgotten us or is not watching us. He was with them with the loaves and fish. He was watching them and with them through the night. And he was there calling him out to walk on water. There wasn't one minute in that story that I've told where Jesus, was, where Jesus wasn't present. They, weren't, they were in the center of his will. And yet there were the miracles, the hard work, and the walking on water. In many of our spiritual maths, even if we don't admit it, we might preach it differently. There's sometimes, I believe, when we add up these kinds of things and we say, well, Jesus could have calmed the wind. And I was doing what he told me to do. And so because he didn't calm the wind, either he doesn't love me or I obviously wasn't praying hard enough. Like if I'd have a bit more faith, it wouldn't have felt as tough. And yet neither of those things were true in the story. There just was the wind blowing all night long. And I believe that part of the, the, the idea here is that Jesus is as interested in developing resilience in his disciples as he was in producing miracles through his disciples. He was as interested in producing resilience in his disciples. These were the guys that were going to end up leading the early church and being the apostles that planted churches around the world. He needed resilient leaders 
not just leaders who got soft because all the miracles, everything just kept going their way. There's often I felt, I wish this wasn't true for me. The work of developing resilience is hard work. It's tough. I remember when Levi, our now 19-year-old, when he was a little guy at school, he was selected to play in like the school tennis championship. And he was the youngest kid there. My, my grade, was he grade two? Little, little guy. I mean, he wasn't very good at tennis. And uh, there were nine kids. The way they, they constructed this tournament is there were nine kids and you had to play round robin on a Saturday against the other eight kids. So eight matches and then they scored the points. And it was a tough parenting day. Watching this little guy, I mean, he's so full of energy, normally bounding onto the court, getting smashed, 1-0. He's, he's, you know, first match down. By the time he's five matches lost, there were three to go. I was just like, is there no exit off ramp here? It's just like, where's the white towel? Just to like, hey, he's not going to win this thing. And he's on his way to finishing stone last. And by four in the afternoon, this little grade two finishes last, ninth out of nine. And uh, he didn't seem, like, he was upset, but his dad was struggling. And, like, I just, my heart was on that court with him. I'm not a good tennis player, but I wanted him to be a good one. And, and that night, and, and driving home, I said to Jack, that was really tough. And she said something quite profound. She said, character has probably developed much more through the losses than through the wins. And it was an interesting journey for him because he's had lots of sporting achievements but he's also had some really tough losses and it's the resilience comes through the losses usually and through the tight games that a cricket coach in high school who would sometimes put their cricket team up against much stronger opponents and afterwards I like have a chat you know just not trying to tell him what to do but just asking how do you think it went he said well we got smashed today but I'm telling you so this is the coach's views um, I would guess my age, maybe a couple of years older. With this perspective, he says, a cricket team doesn't develop resilience if they're only playing opposition they can beat. And so I purposefully plan some tougher matches so that the team gets a little bit stronger. And the Father in heaven must have an infinitely greater view on that lives because he can see what resilience is developing in our souls. And through the, 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 the best and the worst of times, he's, he can perform the miracle any day, any time. But sometimes he allows the wind to blow because he's developing the resilience within me and within you. And he wants to see leaders that, his children I'm talking about, that aren't like these big trees that have got no flex in them. Big wind comes, we fall over. But like the willow tree, we've got some, some bend, some flex because we've been there before. I'm thinking of, of how often I need to remind myself when facing new challenge or new complexities or Sometimes it feels like there's a Rubik's Cube of decision-making, and I can't get all the colors to align. I don't know what to do next, and I, I feel discouraged on occasion. I feel a little overwhelmed sometimes, and it's interesting, but when I think back to previous tough times that happened, oh, remember in that year, 2012 or 2006 or 2015, when God helped us through that situation, I don't know what the answer is, but he does. I'm going to put my faith in him. And no matter what wind lies ahead of me this year and lies ahead of us, we know that he's at work in us all the way through. He hasn't forgotten. He hasn't stopped watching. Even if I'm rowing hard the whole night, he sees, he knows, and he's with me. And he's saying to me, take courage at his eye. Don't be afraid. 
final idea, and I've touched on it, it's LinkedIn in the story that stands out to me so much is, is the idea of follow and obey. Follow and obey. It seems like the key to the story, all of it, the loaves, the night rowing, as well as the walking on water, was these disciples were following Jesus and listening to what he told them to do next. And what's interesting is that if you look at it just through the lens of like, what did Jesus tell them to do? So strip out the the, um, actual multiplication and all the miracles. What were they told to do? It was not that complicated. It, It wasn't something massively out of their reach. They were told to make the people sit in groups. They were told to hand out loaves and fish. They were told to get in the boat and row And there were fishermen amongst them. That wasn't a complicated thing for them. And then Peter only stepped out of the boat when Jesus allowed him to, said, come. And I'm both inspired and challenged by this idea. Is that sometimes I think I need to come up with these great strategies or ideas. We're going to do this, 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 and this. And that will create the opportunity for God to do that. But in listening to his voice, what he said, the disciples just did the next simple thing that God directed them to do. Sit in groups, uh, hand out the fish and loaves, get in the boat, yes, Peter, you can come out. And through the following and through the obedience, they saw real miracles, but they also experienced some tough things. And sometimes I feel like when we're climbing into the boat and rowing into the night and it gets hard, we look back and say, did I really hear correctly? But we're not asking that when the loaves and fish are being multiplied. I must have heard correctly. Look at this. But when we follow and obey, do the next simple thing that he tells us to do. It's astonishing the power of Jesus, back to point number one, being outworked in the situation. We're still talking about it today, this 24-hour period. Some... On one of the occasions, Peter's obedience ended up with him nearly drowning, having to be rescued and loaded back up on the boat. And that's going to happen as well. But they had to do it according to his timing. It was no use climbing on the boat before they'd done the feeding. It was no use getting the people into groups until Jesus told them else they would have just had hungry people in frustrated groups. It was no use climbing out the boat unless Jesus said so because else he would have just sunk straight away. Never walked on water. And this idea of, of his timing with us, I think, is, is such a big deal in the story. There's some of us who by nature or in certain circumstances, we tend to run ahead of timing. We get a word, an idea, a prophecy, like, okay, that was at 8 o'clock. By 10 past 8, this has all got to be in practice. And there's others of us or in other situations, the same people are like very reluctant. God speaks over and over and over again, like I'm just waiting for it all to align. And through the story, we see that there's a certain correct timing. And when it's simple, these simple instructions... Sit in groups, hand out the food, climb in the boat, row, get out on the boat. Is In his timing, there was unusual things that happened and there was just some tough things that happened. But he was there the whole way through. I remember in uh, 2018 and 2019, planning for a big building project. And I felt really overwhelmed by the scope of it and wasn't sure and felt like God very clearly say to us as a team, go for it. All three phases, but to do at once. So in January 2020, at the end of January, we got up and announced 
the City Hill Church. Guys, we're embarking on this big building project. Nice little video. Good soundtrack. That I think is important. Clear, as clear as possible explanation of the need for all these things and ways to give and ideas. I think they were good. And so when at the end of March, the whole country got shut down, on, this, on that one thing, I was seriously discouraged. I really doubted that we'd heard correctly from God. It's like, what's the point of launching a building project just before COVID, which is, looks like it take a long time to get there? And as the lockdown kept you know, being extended, or the, it's like, oh, there's, there's a lot more critical things to do right now in trying to keep connection and community. And an astonishing thing happened. Without much further mention of that building project over the next few months, I got feedback that there was money starting to come into the building account, labeled above and beyond this project that we'd launched. And then I think after nine or 12 months had gone by as an eldership team, we sat down and said, hey, we've, through these different sources, it wasn't all income into that fund, but through three different sources, we feel like we've got enough money here to get going. And the project was finished before COVID was finished, by the end of 2021. Now, there was a whole lot of self-doubt. I mean, there's, I, I don't even know what I learned through that journey in terms of how to run a building project because it was so different. But this certainly was one of them is that timing, when we felt God say yes and we went for it, there it was. And he had planned a multiplication miracle quite outside of all the other wind that we were rowing into. And it would have been possible, if I had have known about March, I definitely would have done that, like my, in my logic, I would have said, this is a terrible time to do it, but it just felt like it was God's timing. And that building project came to an end, beginning of 22, I was having a prayer walk with the Lord and just saying, I'm, thanks, so, like, deeply, intensely grateful for the privilege of being on that journey. And I'm also really glad it's over so that even more of my energy can go back into the other stuff of pastoring. And I just felt God nudge me very strongly and say, that was part one. I'm wanting to do more through you and with you. Not related to building projects, but there was an idea that had been dormant in my mind for about 15 years, 12 to 15 years. And I'd often thought about it, and, and I just felt God said to me, start working on that. And it's taken two years to get the structure of this, uh, uh, essentially a fund that people can invest into, shares or lump sum, that that fund will keep growing and the outflow from it will benefit kingdom activities based on some stories that I'd heard of other guys that had done it, but a multi-donor fund. And it's taken, and there's been hard work and all this stuff, but it, and we're right at the early part of that, so I can't tell you what it looks like. But I really got five or six business people that have invested into that and said, we're with you on the journey. How can we get some more guys involved? And then at the, at the end of last year, I'm speaking about timing still. Now thinking about the year ahead, 2024, Father, thank you, you've what you've multiplied there and the wind and et cetera. What do you have in store for us next year? And we've, we had a whole lot of, we, we have amazing things planned. But I was reading through the book of Exodus in my devotions, and there's a verse there that says, plant your crops for six years and then rest on the seventh year. Don't plant crops on the seventh year. 
And it just felt like God was speaking to me through that verse, but I didn't know what he was saying. Like, what does it look like? I don't think it means cancel services for a year. But what, what does it look like in the New Testament, this idea of not just a weekly rest, but a seven-year cycle? And so I said to Jack, so I asked her, what do you think? And a week or two later, I read that's the same idea, but at another verse. And it jumps out to me, I write it, and I'm really pondering. And Jack and I are talking about a few different things, but we, again, we're not sure, trying to figure it out. She reads in Leviticus the exact same idea, but a different verse, a third time it's mentioned in the Old Testament, and drops a message to me that day, said, I think God is speaking to us, and we're still figuring out what all of that means, but felt like there's some timing, there's some things that might need to rest either this year or next year. Sorry? You want to go to Mauritius for the year? That, that's, I've never heard that until right now. But in the middle of all of God's commands, the trust and obey, do this, don't, now, wait. His voice over and over again throughout the entire Bible, as well as in the middle of the story, saying to us, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. And the beautiful thing about that voice and that encouragement is that even if we miss out on the timing, even if we make mistakes in some of the execution or the application, He is so much bigger and so much greater than all the mistakes, than the Judas betrayal, the Peter cutting off the ear, all the unbelief, the bickering of the disciples, all the stuff that's not ideal. He is so much bigger than that. His plan still gets outworked. And the middle of all of that says to me, and hopefully to you as well today, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. The source of our courage is Jesus himself with us in the boat, watching us from the mountain, giving us the bread and the fish to hand out. Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid.